Everyone has a relationship with gender. What's your story? Hello and welcome to Gender Stories with your host, Dr. Alex Yantafi. Hello and welcome to another episode of Gender Stories. I know I always say I'm thrilled to sit with my interviewees, but I really, really am. And, and today I'm sitting with Nick Walker, who is a queer, transgender, flamingly autistic writer and educator, best known for her foundational work on the neurodiversity paradigm and neuroqueer theory. She's a professor of psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies, senior Aikido instructor at the Aiki Art Center in Berkeley, author of the book Neuroqueer Heresies, which is a fantastic book, and you should definitely get hold of it. There's going to be a link on how to order it on the episode description. And she's also the co-creator of the urban fantasy webcomic Queer at Black, which is fantastic. And there's going to be links to all of the amazing things that Nick does on the episode summary. So welcome, Nick. It's so good to have you here. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me here, Alex. Oh, it's, uh, I know that it took us a while to get together, but it was worth it because now I'm really excited about this conversation. Oh, me too. So, I've been looking, looking forward to it. You are like multi-talented. Um, you're, you're a scholar, you're a webcomic writer, you've written both fiction and nonfiction. You're also a professor, you're an Aikido instructor. I feel less busy just reading your bio, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> People always tell me I do too many things, and I was like, oh, kindred spirit. Um, and yes. your latest book is Neuroqueer Heresies, which combines both kind of your past work and your current work, I believe, right? Yes. So yes. let's start by telling the listener what does neuroqueer mean? Because, um, yes, I don't know if the listeners have an understanding of what yes. queerness is. Good question. That is a good place to start. So, so uh, yeah, I've been playing with this, uh, what I'm calling neuroqueer theory. And it's about uh, extending the uh, concept of queer theory into the realm of neurodiversity. And so we have... Um, uh, my my work for uh, many years has been around neurodiversity and uh, what I see as an emerging neurodiversity paradigm, uh, sort of a cultural paradigm shift. So neurodiversity is the diversity among human minds, the way different people's minds work differently. Uh, it's a concept that originally emerged in the autistic uh, rights movement mm -hmm. and has spread outward from there. And uh, so I, my, a lot of my work is around uh, this cultural paradigm shift from uh, what I call the pathology paradigm, which uh, mm -hmm. takes, says basically there's one normal kind of mind and anything that diverges from normal is pathological. It's some sort of disorder or defects. Uh, and so I'm saying that uh, what's, what's starting to happen is a cultural paradigm shift towards this neurodiversity paradigm, which says, no, there's no such thing as a normal mind, just like there's no such thing as a, a normal culture or a normal ethnicity or a normal gender. And uh, there's just diversity. And so uh we we can embrace this diversity and of course you know look at how to uh alleviate psychological suffering but also mm -hmm. not not create psychological suffering by pathologizing people simply for having minds that work differently from uh what what are the dominant culture says mm -hmm. is normal so uh so I've done work around that and also, you know, being, uh, being queer have, uh, been very into, uh, queer theory and, uh, understanding gender as a, a socially, uh, a socially instilled and socially enforced performance. Uh, and 
so uh so that's come together for me in this neuroqueer theory and uh, what happened in t- uh, 2008, I was uh, a grad student in the field of somatic psychology, uh, which is a f- one of the fields that I, I teach and work in. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was writing a paper just as a, a, just a grad student paper for a class on um, this experience of, uh, having to, uh, when I was a kid, having to hide the way that I naturally moved because mm-hmm. I naturally move like an autistic person. And I was, uh, you know, bullied for that and pathologized and punished by adults for it. And so when I was a little kid, I was learning to mm-hmm. do what's now, what's now referred to as masking, hiding my natural yeah embodiment and um, uh, putting on this performance of neuronormativity. And so I was writing about that and it, it came to me that it was actually very similar to what I had done around gender where, uh, you know, I was mm-hmm. uh, I've really only recently have I, have I understood that I'm a, a trans woman. I'm really just a, you know, haven't even, uh, begun to to medically transition yet, but uh, but as a kid, definitely I was clearly gender nonconforming and not playing my assigned masculine role and having to hide uh, my femininity as a child, and it got buried for a long time. And uh, I was just seeing how those uh, were similar and overlapped, and so. Uh, uh, neuroqueer theory at its at its root has mm. two principles, and one is that um, neuronormativity functions like heteronormativity mm. as a uh, a socially learned and socially imposed and enforced performance uh, that just as just as the dominant culture really pervasively pushes everyone into these assigned heteronormative binary gender roles. Mm. It also pushes people into the performance of uh, certain ways of being normal and acting Mm -hmm. normal in a, uh, in a neurocognitive sense, act like you have a normal mind. Yeah. And so that uh, the neuronormativity functions the same way that what we call, you know, in the neurodiversity movement, people use this term neurotypical, meaning people who are within the, uh, the dominant, uh, you know, the dominant performance of normal who stay within uh, the dominant culture standards of what it means to have a normal mind uh, that's called neurotypicality, but there is no such thing as a neurotypical brain. There's no, there's nobody actually, it's not a a type of brain that people have. Uh, It's really just, it's a way that people learn to perform and Mm -hmm. it's a performance that fits some people better than others. Just like a heteronormative binary gender role is a reasonably good fit for some people. And for some of us, it just doesn't fit at all. And we can't live inside of it. And so I was saying, so that's the first principle there was that neuronormativity worked like uh, uh, heteronormativity Mm -hmm. and could also be queered like heteronormativity. You we queer heteronormativity and we can queer neuronormativity as well uh, by, by being our, our own, unique uh peculiar selves and mm-hmm. allowing ourselves to embody that and create neuroqueer spaces and such the second principle of neuroqueer theory though is that neuronormativity and heteronormativity are actually just two facets of the same thing that they're they're mm-hmm. entwined with each other and can't really be fully separated that if you look at uh when you know, when, when people take autistic children and try to make them act like they're not autistic and they try to, they say, be normal. What are yeah. they, they're really saying, be, act like a normal 
heteronormative boy or act like a normal yes. heteronormative girl. Nobody is mm-hmm. saying nobody is saying act like a normal uh, non-binary gender fluid child. It's yeah. always the neuronormativity and the heteronormativity are always mixed with each yeah. other. And so in a sense, if you queer one far enough, you're also queering the other. So that's that's yeah. the foundation. That's the neuro this neuroqueer theory that I'm playing with and just putting out into the world right now. And it's really uh, excitingly catching on. Mm-hmm. It is. It really is. I mean, I'm a mental health provider, which is so definitely I know how we're trained to like stigmatize <laughs> any kind yeah. of, you know, anything that's non-normative, right? Yes. Including um, neurocognitively. And uh, yes, I love the way you were describing this just um, spaciousness. I'm also a somatic ex- experiencing practitioner. And when oh, you were lovely. talking, yeah, I was thinking about all the ways in which I've written about how kind of this rigid gender binary um makes us contract and it's yes. you know just not individually but also collectively you know our collective soma and and as you were talking I was like yes neuronormativity does the same thing right and it oh, causes yes. so much suffering right absolutely people trying to fit into neurotypicality causes so much suffering and then when there is kind of when I read about neuroqueerness it feels so expansive just as you know gender expansiveness feels so expansive and spacious and we can like take up space and um and yeah it just feels so much freeing for everyone yeah you know like i feel like even neurotypical folks whatever that means sometimes right. I ask myself, <laughs> yes <laughs> might really benefit from some neuroqueering actually will definitely benefit from some neuroqueering mm-hmm. what what do you think do you think that really neuroqueerness is really to the benefit of everyone potentially yes very much very much and that's a central point i make that uh in in that yeah. uh the final section of that uh, book mm-hmm. you know so the book neuroqueer heresies you know i a lot of the material is sort of uh, uh some of it is my older work and mm-hmm. a commentary on the older work and a lot of this is about the neurodiversity paradigm and autism and autistic mm-hmm. empowerment and then i move into this final section where i really go in depth into the neuroqueer theory and put it out there and mm-hmm. uh you know detailed writing you know for, for my first time i'm doing that in print and one of these things that I emphasize is that this is for everyone and that this is a big shift in terms of how we consider neurodiversity, that neuroqueer theory really represents a shift there because most work on neurodiversity, you know, we have, there's a whole emerging field of neurodiversity studies and some of my, you know, previous work has helped to lay the foundations for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But so much of it, is uh, all of it really has been about uh, the idea of specific types of minds, the idea that you're born, you're born mm-hmm. neurotypical, which again, there's not really such a thing as a neurotypical brain or you're yeah. born, you're born autistic, you know, which when, you know, I was born autistic, autistic people are born autistic, but you know, you're born with particular, uh, a particular like neurotype mm-hmm. is the idea. Um and I don't fully buy that. I think that's limiting in the same way that it's limiting to say either you're born straight or you're born gay. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that was a necessary step in the gay rights movement to say, okay, mm-hmm. some people can, you can be born gay and you got to accept that, that people are that way. But I think mm-hmm. that, but it was a, it's a, a limitation too to say yes. people have to fit into one of those categories because we can be queer in so many fabulous ways. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the thing with we see with heteronorm when we look at heteronormativity, like even if a person is happy with their assigned gender, you know, their cisgender mm-hmm. and their heterosexual, still the socially imposed limitations of what it means to act like, have to act like a woman or act like a man, you know, to follow these cultural stereotypes, we get this terrible, like, you know, women's power gets so Mm. restricted and, and men are forced into this toxic masculinity where they have to constantly prove their manhood. And that's a terrible way to live. And so everybody benefits 
from a looseness around gender and a queering mm. of gender and a recognize, recognizing that uh, we can we can break out of cultural gender roles and start playing with them and getting mm. everybody benefits from getting a little more fluid, a little more queer with that stuff, even if they stay, you know, fully heterosexual in their sex lives. And this, this thing, very much the same thing is the case uh, uh, around neuroqueering that, uh, that neuronormativity is a, is a cage like heteronormativity and it, it restricts people and everybody benefits from expanding their consciousness in, in some way and being able to, you know, not having to, uh, feel constrained by having to seem normal. Yeah. People benefit. I mean, and, and I, I look at defining it broadly, really. It's like, if you're intentionally altering your gender performance creatively, you know, that's, that's queering. And it's not about, you don't have to be born gay. You can just sort of say, well, I'm not, I I want to, you know, okay. You know, I've been assigned male and I feel like a heterosexual male, but I want to, put on a dress and wear makeup and mm-hmm. I want to not act uh, or I want to just not enact toxic masculinity. I want to be fluid in how my role in my relationships or my, my mm-hmm. role in my sex life. And I think the same thing with neuronormativity, uh, you know, neuronormativity, I mean, in a sense, people who are altering their consciousness with lots of psychedelics are neuroqueering, you know, yeah. they're, they're they're really letting their letting their consciousness turn into something outside of the norm. And that, of course, historically, you know, psychedelics are illegal because that did become so threatening to the dominant culture. And I see that as yes. a form of queering. I also see, you know, I see my Zen practice and my Aikido mm-hmm. practice as forms of neuroqueering as well. You know, they're, they're, uh, they alter the brain, they alter consciousness mm-hmm. in a way that gets one outside of the boxes of, uh, you know, just uh, uh, the ordinary cultural trance. And I think just everybody benefits uh, from that. And we, I, I, I think we should be, you know, less concerned with uh, types of minds and more like, well, how can you know, what can we all learn from each other? And uh, how can I, oh, here's a person who's, whose mind works very differently from mine and their embodiment is very different. And can I experiment with trying that out myself and see what it does mm. to my own consciousness uh, rather than having these firm lines of autistic versus neurotypical or gay versus straight. Mm. Absolutely. I love all of that. I feel like I want to say, 300 different things, you know, <clears throat> one is like, um, I, I know when, when I was reading your book, that was one of the things I love, this idea that this is really to the benefit of everybody, this mm-hmm. creativity, right? That's very much kind of what I write in terms of gender and that rigid gender binary is traumatic for everybody and yes. we don't benefit, right, from just moving away from this kind of colonial, patriarchal, um, racist kind of model. And, yes. I, you know, we've we've been relying on biological essentialism for so long, right? right? This is how we are born. This is how we are. And that denies, like, what we know about neuroplasticity. Exactly. And it denies what we know about the relationship. We are relational beings. So relation with the environment, you know. Yeah, I've been like exploring like what does masking do to you when you do it for like 50 years that's the conversation i'm having with my therapist like right how much have i masked and how early and also how trauma contributes to that because if there's no safety you're gonna like hide everything (laughs) that's gonna get you in trouble right and so to me this is so appealing because it there's so much healing right just like in trauma healing, we want that flexibility of the nervous system and that expansion. For me, that's there's just so much healing in the study of neuroqueerness. I don't know if that makes sense. But. Oh, completely. <laughs> it's ab- absolutely completely in line with my intention. And yes, absolutely. it's wonderful because I see you, you. You get it. You get what I'm doing. I'm beaming. I'm, I'm just like, yeah. oh, this yes. is so great. Exactly. 
And I know one of the things when people talk about um, neurodiversity or autism, especially gender becomes a thing, right? Yeah. Even when I was getting trained, like this is how autism manifests in boys. And this is how autism manifests in girls. And nothing is a, nothing is that simple. B, I was very, (laughs) I mean, I was very confused just by many things, including gender, but this was also confusing because I was like, well, that is, that is so reductive. Yes. And so I am really interested in um, kind of talking a little bit more about this idea of kind of what happens to gender in a neuroqueering paradigm, right? Does it even matter? Does Is gender even relevant anymore or not? Or I'm just curious about your thoughts I, on this. I think gender is very relevant. I think it is. I think that it's... Um, uh, moving into a, you know, a, a concept of gender that's, that moves away, as you say, it moves completely away from biological essentialism, completely uncouple it from, from, yes. uh, uh, you know, concepts of biological sex. And of course, we're seeing that with the, 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 the anti-trans movement with all the whole mm-hmm. trend, the, you know, transphobic panic that's happening in, in society today that, um, you know, the, the, the transphobes are calling themselves gender critical now, yeah. for instance. And they're, they're really, what they're discovering is, uh, you know, I mean, the whole, uh, the whole concept of gender, uh, as distinct from sex, they realize is, is, is more our territory than theirs. That, exactly. that, uh, gen- because gender is so easily queered. So it's almost like they've, uh, they've moved from trying to maintain binary gender to even just rejecting the idea of gender. Oh no, it's only biological mm-hmm. sex. There's, there's, there's no gender just reject because uh, they're starting to discover the, the, mm-hmm. the wild fluidity of this and that it is, it is a creative medium. And that I think is where this is going is that gender, uh, uh, gender, and uh cognition gender and mm-hmm. you know the realm the realm of gender and the realm of neurodiversity are both uh uh playgrounds they're both they're both works media that we can work in creatively and to to shape ourselves and so you mm-hmm. talked about new neuroplasticity you know that's where yeah. like the whole neuroqueer theory idea works like it doesn't maybe, you know, you're born with certain neurocognitive tendencies and proclivities and that may be something as sharply Mm -hmm. defined as autism or something, uh, uh, you know, more ambiguous and something within, you know, that falls within what, you know, the dominant culture would call normal, but there's still these, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever however when it's born there's still this neuroplasticity that lets us alter our consciousness in all sorts of exciting ways and customize it and gender also can mm-hmm. be customized so much uh and there's just and i think that's that's what it is that this is a uh uh the combination of both uh uh cognition like the body mind in general and then the the whole realm of gender in particular are uh fields of possibility and fields of creative possibility and um i'm about approaching them in a spirit of creative play i love that because also you know there is all that possibility in the liminal space too, right? Yeah. Where does one identity ends and when does one begin, right? We, um, my oldest kid and I talk a lot about where does autism end and where do you get to become considered neurotypical and how much of it is uh, if you perform according to capitalist right. normative values, right? If you do well in school and if you don't get into too much social trouble, uh, then, you know, you couldn't possibly... Um, yeah. take, for right. example, right? And if you're a certain gender. And so a lot of actually what, how we cut those borders is so linked to what we believe is um, we should be able to do, should in air quotes, right? As humans in this kind of capitalist society. And I think that 
in a way, this neuroqueerness paradigm challenges that. And so yes. I'm really interested in how you see this paradigm contributing to kind of this count, almost counter this kind of rising, re-rising, I should say, fascist paradigms that we're seeing, right? Like the gender critical folks. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people would agree that there is a rise of fascism globally. Oh, again. yes, yes. Um, you know, maybe it's because I come from a country that was highly impacted by it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'm just, I don't know if I'm making sense, but I'm curious about this idea of neuroqueerness as kind of this counterforce to this kind of rising fascist paradigm. I think very much so. Not that not that we can, you know, counter no, fascism. Of course. Just with queering, you know, countering fascism. If I mean, un, unfor- <laughs> right, if only. Unfortunately, countering fascism takes really drastic measures, as we, you mm-hmm. know, found in, in World War II. You know, it really yeah. uh, um, it really has to be stood up to in a very direct way. But mm-hmm. uh, but yes, it's very much I think. I think it very clearly uh, 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 is part of something that's happened. And I think this uh, uh, neuroqueer, neuroqueer theory uh, and just sort of the um, uh, increase, increasing queerness in, in, mm-hmm. in that we're seeing in general, people being more open about the queerness, more openly transgender uh, in the younger generations, especially, um all of this the neurodiversity movement mm-hmm. um i think there's something happening there's something happening that is mm-hmm. the opposite end of the spectrum from fascism and uh mm, in a sense fascism is a reaction against all of this um there uh there were a bunch uh after you know, uh, after World War II, mm. when uh, uh, World War II had a profound impact, of course, on the field of psychology, because people wanted yes. to ask this question, you know, uh, how could people go along with it? How could people go along with the Holocaust? Mm-hmm. And uh, what is it that draws people to fascism? And uh, that's still, of course, a highly relevant question. And so there were a lot of, uh, you know, psychologists got into that. And one of the things uh, mm-hmm. that the theories that developed was this idea of the authoritarian personality. And what are the traits of the authoritarian personality? And the biggest feature of the authoritarian personality, uh, uh, you know, people who were studying it found was a fear of fear of uncertainty. Yes. They were scared. There's a, it's driven by the sphere of ambiguity. And so this, this, this authoritarian personality likes to re- reduce things. It takes this reductionist approach. Uh, how do we reduce things and keep them simple so we can be clear about everything and not have to deal with the, uh, the fear of ambiguity and the mm-hmm. uncertainty that comes with it. And so that include that ends up including uh a fear of cultural diversity because a lot of the fact that you know there's so many people with different cultures who have different ways of doing things and uh you know what is never entirely certain uh you know what's this what are what is this custom mm-hmm. here what does it mean when this person does this what does that mean in their culture there's ambiguity and uncertainty around it yeah. and uh that um there's just an a constant uncertainty and ambiguity about human difference and navigating that field. And um, therein lies the opportunity for learning and creativity. And, but the authoritarian personalities fears the ambiguity and uncertainty that's necessary for learning to happen. And that really shows up around gender that authoritarianism Mm -hmm. is like universally associated with uh, adherence to strict gender norms and strict gender mm-hmm. roles so that they can be certain exactly which gender box everyone fits into and how do you, per- what's the right way to perform this, mm-hmm. who's supposed to be attracted to who, and they want this certainty around it and are very threatened by the uncertainty. Um, and uh, 
my colleague uh, uh, Alfonso Montori, who's one of my uh, dear dear friends and colleagues, and was uh, uh, chair of my doctoral dissertation committee. Uh, uh, Montori did some uh, a lovely work on the authoritarian personality, um, uh, contrasting it, saying the the it's uh, it, the opposite end of the spectrum from the authoritarian personality mm-hmm. is the creative personality. And that yeah. the creative personality um, is uh, seeks ambiguity and uncertainty because that liminal space of uncertainty is where creativity happens. Mm-hmm. And so highly creative people and cultural spaces tend to be more gender fluid and have, you know, more willing to, to blur and cross and eliminate gender lines and play mm-hmm. with it. And, uh, you know, the creative personality embraces cultural diversity and difference in general as, oh, this is an opportunity to learn. Wow, this is exciting. I have no idea what's going on here. I don't understand this this culture I'm encountering at all. I don't understand this person's gender at all. What an exciting opportunity to learn yes. and grow. <laughs> and it's the opposite reaction from the authoritarian reaction of, of mm. uh I must impose certainty. I must destroy this thing that threatens my sense of certainty in, in, in how, where everything stands. So I think, yeah, I mean, neuroqueer theory is definitely the far end, you know, fascism is the extreme end of the authoritarian mm-hmm. spectrum. We must crush anything that makes us feel uncertain mm-hmm. and the, uh, uh, you know, and hold on to these, uh, rigid ideological certainties mm-hmm. even without even examining them rationally because even that opens up too much uncertainty absolutely and mm-hmm. then the opposite end i think is all you know the neuroqueer stuff is the uh, represents the uh, the opposite end of let's continually like i identity and culture mm-hmm. and such is all is all fluid and all here uh to creatively experiment with and explore and the differences between us and the, uh, you know, this spectrum of human, human diversity is, uh, uh, a continually, uh, a place where we can learn and grow and learn from each other and borrow from each other. And, uh, and even, exp- uh, I mean, the thing about neuroqueer theory and where I'm going with it in terms of going to the opposite extreme from the from fascism mm-hmm. is uh, um, if you look at most social justice work, um, it's about uh, uh, accepting, you know, embracing diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying you know uh the and or this, this is a cosmopolitan spirit of just let us let us embrace and accept human diversity and uh you know stop oppressing people for being different and yay there's lots of difference among people um i'm pushing it a little bit further mm-hmm. and saying let's not only embrace the scope of human diversity let's expand it Yes. Like let's expand the range of possible gender mm-hmm. expressions and possible modes of neurocognitive functioning even more than it is. Like let's mm-hmm. let's not just accept weird people. Let's how can we get weirder? How can we creatively get weirder? Mm-hmm. And and how much healing possibility is in that, right? I remember in my advanced module for somatic experiencing, uh, one of my teachers, Kathy Kane, talked about you can tell when, you know, as we're healing from trauma, we embrace our weird, right? Yes. And we look around at a class of folks doing somatic training for three years. And, you know, there's people on their gym ball and there's people like under a blanket and there's yes. people swaying on the side. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. As, you know, that kind of flexibility of the nervous system that allows us to listen to ourselves and go, what do I need right now to be present, to be engaged or for my 
body to be comfortable, right? It's like that expansion into possibility of relationship with self and with others and with the world. And yes. yeah, there, there's just so much exciting possibility. And it's it makes a lot of sense for me that fascism is kind of aligned with this author, authoritarian, authoritarianism. That's a really hard word for yes. me to say <laughs> with, my, with my non-English as a first language. But and it's so colonial, right? It's so oh, colonial. Yes. It's about control, control of land, control of bodies, you know, right. right? Just control, control or control. That's that's and here I'm hearing what happens if we actually don't try to control each other. Right, exactly. Which is also kind of abolitionist. It is because oh, very right, much. a lot of control of each other happens through policing, right? Yes. There was um, like a threat. It was a public threat on Twitter. So I don't feel bad talking about it here, but like it was a queer family, you know, that encountered a really homophobic man on this train. And the first thing that people asked was, did he get arrested? And while I get that this dude was doing something terrible, screaming at the children, I was like, how is that the solution long term? Like, mm-hmm. right? The, when policing is part of the problem, Right. And so for me, the, I, I don't know, but I, the more I think about this and as I'm talking to you, I'm like, well, it's pretty abolitionist too. I don't know. Yes, I don't know what you think about that or if I'm just going off on a tangent. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. I, 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 think, I think it is. I think it definitely is. I mean, there's uh, um, you know, policing as an institution, I mean, it does it doesn't force the status quo. And, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it would be lovely if it were like, it was on, you know, cop, cop shows on television where police went and solved crimes, but that's not yeah. what a policing actually does. It's like, Oh, exactly. this is, this is, this is a threat to the status quo. This is a threat to whatever our normal is. And the normal, if the normal is socioeconomic injustice or the normal is everybody walks and publicly behaves in a certain normative fashion that exactly. the, the police become a threat to uh you know anyone who wants to be outside of those boxes so yeah i mean i think i'm very much uh uh you know uh about liberation in uh in a very non-abstract you know concrete way mm-hmm. because like you you know i'm 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 a somatics person so as we all should be, because we all are bodies. Exactly. So, so I'm. Uh, so 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 to so to me, you know, neuroqueering is very much an embodied process. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about you know breaking out of the the boxes of uh, neuronormativity and heteronormativity, it's very much an embodied uh, process. You know that that gender is an embodied performance and. Yes. Uh, and neuronormativity is an embodied performance, and uh, queering is something that is done bodily and bodily acts of bodily expression and uh, who how we embody ourselves in the world. And I think that uh, you know institutions like uh, uh, policing and prisons, you know, they they imprison and regiment bodies, yeah. and so. You know, I think that necessarily there's an there's an abolitionism, you know, and that that applies. Mm-hmm. I think also just to you know, I mean, uh, uh, structures of capitalism where so many people are forced Absolutely. to, uh, um, you know, for, forced to labor and dehumanizing repetitive jobs mm-hmm. uh, just to avoid starving. Yeah. Um, you know that that is. That's a coercive system, you know, kept in place by policing. And that's, exactly. you know, I think there's, um, so yeah, there's uh, all of these, all of these, and of course, colonialism in a big way, you know, is about mm-hmm. imposing colonial, you know, imposing the colonizers norms on the bodies. Uh, exactly. And we really, you really, this really comes into sharp focus in the uh, U.S. history with the Indian schools, mm-hmm. right? How, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, indigenous American children were separated from, mm-hmm. you know, separated uh, from their native culture and had really 
the colonizers' ways of moving and embodiment posed on them. It was a, a, a very much a disciplining mm-hmm. of bodies, and so, so yeah, all of I think necessarily, you know. Uh, to speak of neuroqueering as a, a good thing, as a liberating thing, we say liberated, liberated from what, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it necessarily involves a liberation from policing, a liberation from prisons, a liberation from uh, structures of uh, uh, forced labor and imposed poverty, mm-hmm. a liberation from colonialism. So yeah, all of those things, uh, you know, because uh, similarly, you know, I think that, um, I've really focused my work, um, just, uh, coming from my own experience being mm-hmm. autistic and, uh, uh, trans and queer. Uh, so I tended to focus on, uh, gender and how, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, the, the normativity that the, the neuronormativity that's imposed on autistic children mm-hmm. and other neurodivergent children is a heteronormativity, yes. but of course it's also, you know, colonialist. It's also a white, yeah. it's also, it's also exactly. a white normativity, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, you put a, 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 a black autistic child in behavior therapy, the behaviorist is not, is, is teaching them, you know, uh, when the behaviorist says, I'm going to teach your child to act like a normal child, they mean a heteronormative child and also a white heteronormative child. Like there's an, there's a, Absolutely. These implicit cultural values of normativity that are insidiously in the dominant culture. And I sort of, I leave that for, uh, you know, people of color to write about because Mm -hmm. increasingly that's, that's happening. And we're hearing more, uh, you know, from, from uh, uh, non-autistic, from, 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 from non-white autistic Mm -hmm. people about their experiences and how, uh, you know, the, the neuronormativity and the racist and colonialist, colonialist structures intersect. So, yeah, I think that um, all of these different uh, uh, axes of imposed normativity uh, uh, ultimately interconnect and uh, liberation, you know, it comes back to, you know, Martin, Martin Luther King's, uh, uh, to saying, you know, injustice everywhere is a, uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Right. Injustice anywhere. Like as long as one, one group or one person is oppressed, no mm-hmm. one is really free because all of these systems do intersect. And so there's this, there's this, uh, uh, like, okay. I'm going to make as much space in my own life individually to liberate myself as possible. But in the process, I'm also looking at, you know, how can we spread that liberation mm-hmm. around too? how can we like, okay, there's people who are, you know, uh, there's people who, if they uh, queer themselves as visibly as, as, as you and I um, are in positions where they're going to be shot for it. And exactly. so how do, how do we change that as well? And so mm-hmm. it's almost like uh, I don't even see because, you know, I'm really just, uh, you know, largely, you know, a, a somatic psychologist and queer theorist and uh, uh, just uh, into cr- playing with this stuff creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't use, I don't think of my work as social justice work necessarily. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I see that when I put my writing out there, it gets uh, brought into social justice work and liberation yeah. work. And that's, you know, that's, that's what I hope for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is, we, uh, on the one end, it's like, what are, what are the extremes of freedom that we can explore? And then there's, how can we, uh, how can we make this more and more available to everyone Exactly. And that's what I love about your work as well, that it's not this kind of individualized, right, in, um, ragged individualist, individual freedom, right? It's the paradigm and there cannot be that kind of neuroqueer creativity and expansion without collective change, right? Because right? and And that's, I love that. Uh, I feel like, I, again, I'm having like thoughts pop all over the place, but as you were talking, there's so many connections, you know, as you were saying that, you know, when um, 
therapists or educators work with autistic kids, right? They're imposing a cis heteronormative white standards, right? Mm-hmm. On the child, regardless of how they're racialized or how they're gendered, right? Like Resma Manikam's work that talk in my grandmother's hands, talk about the white body is the standard, you know, in a way that I love that there's so much um, work coming out of somatic uh, approaches that really is about this weaving of expansiveness, as I see it, right? Like, how can we mm-hmm. really heal from all this contracting of colonialism, racism, all the systems, and come into this place of spaciousness, expansiveness, cultural change, so that the world is safer for as many people as possible, right? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. So exciting. I could talk about this for a long time, but I want to be respectful of your time. And one question I always ask at the end is, is there anything we haven't talked about that you would love to share with the Gender Stories listeners? Oh, that's a wonderful uh, question to ask. Um, I... uh... And I'm sorry, I, I always put people on the spot with this one. So take your I time. love it. No, no, I, lo- I, lo- I love it. Um, I would say um, I would say a couple of things. Uh, one is, um, you know, we've talked here a little bit about. Uh, uh, policing as an institution mm-hmm. and such, but I think one thing that I one thing that I talk about in my book too is this idea, um, uh, not just about you know the oppressive nature of policing as a, a, a social institution, but also um, that we shouldn't police each other. Yes, and I think that's important. That what I see people policing each other's identities a lot, and I, uh, <laughs> including you know, I put. Uh, the term neuroqueer out into the world mm-hmm. and people started claiming it as an identity label and then trying to tell other people they couldn't use it as an identity label. Uh, I was like, no, no, you're missing the point here. And so mm-hmm. that, that authoritarian impulse can come up in everyone in the sense mm-hmm. of people uh, often um, uh, wanting to stay alienated. You know, sometimes I, identity politics mm-hmm. causes people to say, okay, well, this is, this is our group and that's your group and don't cross the line between us. And I think that that's, that's just more policing and more of the authoritarian impulse to certainty. And I'm really all about blurring those lines mm-hmm. and saying, um, no, anyone can engage in neuroqueering let's mm-hmm. let's uh let's get rid of normativity let's let's get rid of you know neurotypicality is is not a state that people are born in and it's something that we can eliminate mm-hmm. nobody has to be normal uh let's eliminate the whole uh uh the whole idea and mm-hmm. you know just recognize it as social a social construct that we can diverge from freely and um so i think that uh uh the authoritarian impulse comes up even in uh, uh people doing social justice work mm-hmm. um oh, yeah uh, comes up around identity politics uh, i see people uh um uh mistake hybridity for cultural appropriation, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea with cultural appropriation originally as a, a concept was like, oh, well, you know, don't, don't, uh, you know, don't, don't rip off the, the cultures of yeah. op- oppressed and colonized people and make a buck off them. And that's, exactly. that's good. But it's gotten to the point where I see people say that, you know, uh, uh, any sort of creative cultural hybridity becomes a cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Like everybody has to stay within their own little cultural boundaries, but historically cult- the cultural hybridity and the way that cultures influence and learn from each other and pick things up from each other is a huge source of creativity. It has given yeah. us most of the world's, you know, great music and cuisine and mm-hmm. uh, sciences. Uh, it's all. And so I think it's important to recognize, you know, there's uh, to look at the the non-oppressive ways that mm-hmm. people can 
uh, blur the lines and pick things up from each other and hybridize mm-hmm. and collectively and individually mutate. And uh, so that's, yeah, that's one thing that I, mm-hmm. I would emphasize is just um, avoiding that authoritarian impulse or the, the, the identity politics that makes anybody in, into, into an enemy. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I, I think um, uh, that's, um, that's one thing. And the other thing um, that I would bring into this conversation here uh, is uh, creative work. Just, uh, you know, I mean, I think that I like, gender as a creative canvas, you know, and mm. the, the mind, you know, neuroplasticity means the brain itself is something that is, uh, we can, we can sculpt and play with. Um, mm. but also, uh, so much of the, uh, I prefer writing fiction and comics to writing mm-hmm. nonfiction. It's more fun, but so much of the, um, uh, work that I see is very neuroqueer is happening in the realm of fiction. And so Mm -hmm. I really, um, uh, I really love that. I really, uh, hope that people will look at, um, you know, the, the, the writing I do, you know, the fiction writing I do, the comics writing Mm -hmm. I do and the writing being done by other people, you know, uh, uh, we have, um, I'm involved in the, the, uh, annual spoon knife anthology, which is a neuroqueer multi-genre lit anthology and sort of a way to get introduced to a lot of authors who are playing in that territory. There's just some lovely, uh, wonderfully queer things happening in uh in the realm of fiction and storytelling that mm. i think um uh it's it's easy to overlook it's easy to get caught up in uh yeah. all the things that are wrong and in the or focus on the um the mainstream mm. uh, sort of the, the sameness. Oh God, another, another TV show with the same stereotypes and all, but there is so much wildly queer creative work happening that, uh, uh, and even though the world is imperfect uh, still, and even though there's oppression everywhere, um, in a sense, not only are we still allowed to enjoy ourselves and enjoy a good book and enjoy mm-hmm. fiction and be creative, but also uh, we need to. We need to remind ourselves what we're working for mm-hmm. and not make our entire lives about fighting against something, but also what what positive things are we creating? And that really involves keeping the creative imagination alive. So I think I want to close with that. That is so beautiful. Ah, I love that because I actually find fiction and even TV and so rejuvenating. Yes. And I think there is so much, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, Alex in Flashdance was the queerest character that was oh, exposed yes. to because she was a dancer and a wilder, right? And I was like, right. look at that challenging of gender stereotypes. And now, you know, my oldest kid can be like, yeah, if it if it's not queer, I don't want to watch it. If it's a or a cartoon because there's so much out there. So, yes, I love ending on that note of creativity and also just hope, right? That yes. in the creativity, there is hope. It's so, um, it's kind of hard to hold on to hope sometimes in, in this moment, in this, in these times. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. Well, thank you so much. This oh, was so wonderful. You. Um, I feel like we haven't even talked about all the other things you do. You know, this is a tiny piece of your work, <laughs> hugely important, but just one part of who you are. So thank you for coming on to the show. wish we had more thank time you. to talk about all the other things you do. And for you listeners, if you do want to find out all the wonderful things that Nick does, you can find uh, links to all of her work in the episode summary. And so go explore all the links, go read the webcomic, buy the book, of course, Neuroqueer Heresis. And thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you will play with your own kind of neuro landscape and your own gender landscape and keep creating. Until next time. Uh-huh.